How do you carry on when you've lost everything? My guest this week has an incredible story of resilience and transformation. Back home, the way we were raised is like, you don't look at the situation, you find a way out of the situation. Munira Mahmood lived on the fifth floor of Grenfell Tower in West London. In 2017, a fire ripped through the building, killing 72 people and leaving hundreds homeless overnight. It was Britain's most deadly domestic fire since the Second World War. But three years on, there are still many unanswered questions about how and why it happened. Minera's family escaped with just the clothes on their backs. And like hundreds of others displaced by the fire, she found herself in emergency shelter, looking ahead to an uncertain future. But from that place, and through her passion for cooking, Manera found an unexpected roadmap to move forward. I want people to be happy. I want to get people together, because it's the only way you understand each other, you help each other, you support each other. So I prayed before going to bed, I said, please, God, show me the sign. I'm Ian Wright, and this is Everyday People. And before we begin Manera's story, a warning that you might find this episode upsetting. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Vanilla, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Look at this, oh my God. You brought food? Nothing much. When we was younger, my mum would my mum would always say, no, wherever you go, if people offer you food with a good heart, you have to. You have to. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know? What, what have you got for me here? So we've got the rice here. What, what's this here? It's called mahamri. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's mainly East African. It's deep fried bread. Right. And then you can eat it with um, beans, aubergine. You can have it with mm. um, masala tea. It's got a nice sweet taste to it. It is sweet, yeah. And this, and this here? It's aubergine masala. Uh, that's, um, again, another tr family, authentic tradition. When I do finally come to your kitchen, will I be able to get some of these? Because I could see this Definitely. with baked... This looks like something good with um, baked beans and... Baked beans, but uh, normally we'd ha we make it with um, uh, normal beans, mm -hmm. but flavoured with coconut milk. Right. Uh, Is this, this what's this, avocado? Chili dip. Chili dip. It's spicy, yeah? Yeah. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is spicy. <laughs> Did I know how spicy it is? <laughs> oh, my God. It's really, it's really hot, ma'am. I don't realise it's sorry, that hot. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That, that's lovely. That really is a, a nice blast of pepper. 
So, Manira, you, you, you're born in Uganda. Right. When did when did your passion for food start? I'm one of the 11. Mm-hmm. And I'm number seven down the line. Okay. <laughs> I'm right towards the end. Yeah, one of <laughs> yeah. the youngest. That's like me. I was one. I'm the youngest as yeah. well. When you're a girl born back in Africa or mm. culturally, they prepare you to be a housewife or good mother. Mm-hmm. And the first thing is cooking. All the men in the family, on my dad's side, are chefs. Wow. Yeah, so if there's wedding funeral parties, they cook for a thousand and a thousand. So yeah, we used we used to cook. By the time I was ten, I would cook for fifty. And so what was it like? What was the smells and the taste and the colours? Growing up everybody appreciated food. My dad would bring rice or make chapati. Mm-hmm. So you would flavor the chapati with onions. Yes. You know? And um you just have to make it up, but you have to make sure it's edible for everyone. It was beautiful, you know, you're cooking on firewood and other kids are running around and then your cousins are there screaming and (laughs) oh my goodness. At 20, Manera left Uganda behind to start a new life in the UK. 2008 was a special year. She found love, got married and started a new home with her husband in a working class neighbourhood in Kensington in West London. They moved into public housing, a residential high rise built in the 1970s. Its name, Grenfell Tower. I'm a family person, mm-hmm. a community person. Yes. And when I got married, I was thinking, oh my God, I don't know anyone, <laughs> you know. I used to live in Birmingham. Right. So I got married, moved down, and within three weeks, I had about 50 people as friends. My mother used to say, like, you're crazy. You can't keep inviting everyone to the house. <laughs> and I'm like, someone has to take the first step mm-hmm. and let it be me. And what was the community spirit like? You know, when you tell someone hello and someone smiles back or yes. says hello back, then you know it's a good sign. Yes. You know, I had few people be like, oh my God, she's weird. But <laughs> because, I, you're, because you're saying hello. <laughs> yeah, but then others will be like, oh, you know, this is nice, this is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the neighbours knew them for nine years, but I didn't know their names. Mm-hmm. But we used to say hello to each other, yeah. you know, come and knock on the door and leave the food outside. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't see them in the lift for two, three days, you start wondering where are they. Yeah. And they used to do the same. Neighbours looked out for one another, just like back home in Uganda. And on the fifth floor where Manira lived, her neighbours even kept an eye out for her father-in-law. So my father-in-law, yes. he's got dementia okay. uh, for about 18 years now. And a uh, few times he's left the house. Okay. Back in the tower. Yeah. And then the neighbours will call you. And, They'll yeah. be like, no, don't worry. He left the house, but we've kept him nice and safe. So. Did, did they know that he wasn't quite well? People would figure out that, you know, yeah. something is not right. You know, you tell one person, the other person will tell yeah. the other person. Yeah. It was amazing. What was an average Friday night like right, for um, you guys? We, we do like um, meditation or prayers mm-hmm. every Friday. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometime we'd have at least people, 50 people in the house. You know, families coming together, bringing food, and then men sit in the living room, and then the rest of the place, <laughs> the corridor, the kitchen, the bedroom, is full of the, kids the, running around yeah. until like one or two in the morning. So it's fair to say everybody <laughs> knew everybody there. Yeah, yeah. Within just a few years at Grenfell Tower, Manera had a huge network of friends, and just when she thought that community life couldn't get any better, she met Rania a mother of two from Egypt who lived on the 23rd floor. They hit it off. Two weeks after we met, um, 
She brought like pasta bake, a whole tray, enough for the whole week, and chicken and soup, and you know, some Egyptian wait, wait, wait. snacks. <laughs> so, you pasta bake yeah. for a week? Enough for a whole week, just for me, my husband, my father in law. And my husband's like, she's not a good person. <laughs> she's, right, she's feeding you. Too yeah, much. he's like, you know, he believes in giving back. He right. said, how are we going to give back? Like, no, this is not right. And um, the moment I mentioned giving her back the tray mm -hmm. with something on it, she's like, I'll beat you. Is that not acceptable to... No, culturally, you cannot, you know, I give you a plate of food and you give it back empty. I would never do that. If you give me a plate, I need to give it back with something on it. And she's like, no, eat. You enjoy the food, eat. So it's food, you connected through food. Definitely. It was it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And within no time, they were inseparable. More like sisters than friends. You're just able to go in the lift yes. without shoes. You know, holding your plate, yes. <laughs> eating in the lift, going to her house upstairs, her flat. And you'd go in the lift with the food. <laughs> yeah, you know, the kids would come down in pampas, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and they'd be pressing the bill, be like, Monira, where is food? So you raised your kids together? <laughs> we did, we did, we did. We used to go to school together, shopping together, um, breakfast together, lunch mm -hmm. together, dinner together, because her husband was away. I kind of forgot that I was married. <laughs> yeah. so, you were so close, huh? <laughs> we were close. You, you know, I don't have onion quickly go grab <laughs> onion and yeah it was because that's how I was raised back home yes you know of course when we was younger we, we had the same kind of we lived in a block of flats but obviously on the ground and there was one block of flats here one block here and it was in a in a kind of tenement kind of way yeah. and we was the same you you could literally walk down the balcony with no shoes to go and ask this one for sugar or this one for flour yeah. or someone for rice it's the same thing, but you obviously go up and down in the lift. Yeah, I mean, we were so close that if it was the children's birthday, my children's birthday, she'd be like, you know what, you focus on the decoration and the hall, mm -hmm. I'll focus on food. Okay, yes. And she'll literally cook for a hundred, you know, <laughs> maybe six, seven starters and then make course and then dessert and then the cake and then, wow. you know, and we would do the same. In the summer of 2017, Manira and Rania observed the Muslim holy month of Ramadan. They're first together since they met over a year ago. Iftar and, or, or breaking the fast, it's a huge part of Ramadan. What, what, what are your memories of, of the iftars during that month? I mean, that Ramadan was really special, especially, you know, knowing Grania. I have an illness that Rania had. Two, three people in the house, it's not people. You know, <laughs> uh, you need at least 15, 20 people. You start cooking six, seven hours, and then you feel like, you know what, this is it. We went to the local mosque yes. to eat that Ramadan. Yeah. And um, we tried the food. And not being bad. <laughs> yeah, you, thought, you might be able to do we, we, we looked at each other and we're like, nah, we, <laughs> we, need, we need to take over. And um, she said, you know what? My husband works at this mosque. After Ramadan, let's talk to the, the manager. And then let's take over the kitchen and the canteen so that we can cook food for people. So we approached the manager and said, you know what? We want to run the kitchen and he gave us the card. He said, come after Ramadan. And that was it. It was a hot summer. The days were getting longer and Ramadan was coming to a close. On Tuesday the 13th of June, Manira and Rania spent the day together shopping and planning a party in the park to celebrate Eid. That evening, Manira offered to cook. But as she got started on the dinner, she felt a sense of unease. 
My daughter was crying a lot. She was one and a half at a time. Mm-hmm. And she started crying. Back home, they say, I don't know if it's superstition or if it's real or true that kids feel mm-hmm. or they can tell that something is coming up. And my daughter was crying nonstop. She was crying and I kept praying. I said, oh God, please, whatever is going to happen, make it good, like protect us. It was 9.30, the hour to break fast. Manira went up to Rania's on the 23rd floor with dinner, some chicken, lentils and rice. So I took the food upstairs. I said, make sure you eat because I know you're trying to lose weight. And she said, I'll, I'll eat. She was just looking at me, smiling in a very weird way. I was like, go back in, mm-hmm. you know, eat and then finish the cleaning. Manira went back to her flat on the fifth floor. Her daughter was still distressed. After hours of coaxing and soothing, they both fell asleep. But then, after midnight, Manera woke up to a loud noise. One of us has to go and check if the door is locked or not. And um, I couldn't hear my husband. He was sleeping. So I woke up. I said, let me go and check and see what's happening. It was her elderly father-in-law. He was confused and trying to open the front door, which was shut by lock and chain. So he was pulling the door to go out. And I was like, Baba, go back to bed. And uh, he was like, I need to go home. Like, no, you have to go back to bed. So my father-in-law goes back to his bedroom and starts watching people screaming. Fire brigade. Yeah, hello. Hi, in the fire, flat 16 Greenfield Tower. So your fire where? Uh, flat 16 Greenfield Tower. The fire brigade are on their way. Are you outside? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm outside. People screaming. Get out, get out. Get out, get out, fire. And when I turn on my right on the window, the flames are coming to our bedroom window now. Straight away to that breaking story now. Coming from West London, the London Fire Brigade are dealing with a huge fire in a residential tower. The great concerns that this structure is going to collapse. Local people are saying residents of the tower are still trapped. Details at the moment not yet clear. Our correspondent Andy Moore is there. Andy, what is the latest? I woke my husband up, the kids were sleeping, and uh, he was like, no. He said they've been fired before and they've they managed to, you know, put up the fire. He was like, oh, they haven't told us to evacuate. And I thought, OK, let me see the landing by the lift, what's happening. And it was packed full of smoke. And the, the firefighter, I remember having his mask and he told me I had two seconds. And I looked at him <laughs> thinking, if this is a dream, then it's a really bad dream. He said you had... Two seconds to live. Um, That two seconds was just me to grab my kids and uh, leave. We'll be back in a moment. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There was no time to think or feel. Manera took her children into her arms and ran to safety. We just stood outside. Right, what was it? The building. 
and watching the flames. The neighbors were running up and down the stairs, those leaving and those going back to help their families. You know, within 15, 20 minutes, the flames all go to the top. And Manira had made it out alive with her kids, but in the confusion, she separated from her husband, who stayed back with his father. Then, after 20 agonising minutes, she saw them again. It was crazy. When I saw my husband, I could not believe it. You know, as a mother, as a woman, the first thing I thought was the kids. And then remembered, you know, um, about my husband. So when I saw him, it was, we were in shock, me and my kids watching the flames going up. But then, you know, just the thought of thinking if I'd lost him, I'd lost my husband in the fire, what would have happened? A family were all together, safe and in one piece. For a few moments, panic turned to relief. And what about Rania? What are you thinking now? Rania was on the 23rd floor. Oh dear. I left my phone behind. So I started asking my friend, my husband to call his friends, to call their sisters to pass Rania's number. After frantic calls to close friends and neighbours, Manira made contact with Rania. She was trapped inside with her daughters and losing hope. The first thing she said, oh, thank God you're alive. I was like, <laughs> you're crazy. I want you to come down now. But um, she, she knew there is no way because this is about nearly two hours later. And within 15 minutes, the whole building on one side is completely gone. After that, her phone went off. And um, I was the last person who spoke to her. When the fire broke out, authorities at the London Fire Brigade advised residents to stay put in their flats and wait for help. A standard policy for high-rise residential buildings. You mentioned your, your, your husband saying that you haven't been told to evacuate and the people who are, who are higher up, do you think that they were doing the same? No, they, they were told to stay in. Everyone, everybody made phone calls and they were told to stay put. And... Um, the top door to the roof was locked. Uh, most people were found dead. They tried to run upstairs thinking, you know, people had helicopters on top thinking. They were going to be able to be saved. That was it. Rania Ibrahim and her daughters Fetia and Hania died in flat 203 on the 23rd floor of Grenfell Tower. Seventy-two people died and hundreds of families were made homeless overnight in Britain's most deadly residential fire since the Second World War. How did your life change that day? Um. The first few days, I don't know. I don't know who I was. I don't know who I was because just looking at the the news of missing people and uh, seeing Granny and the kids, 
and all the people I saw during the day, I was like, <laughs> this could have been me. After nine years in Grenfell Tower, Minera and her family were forced to begin a new chapter. They were put in emergency shelter and shared a single room between five. What, what was it like going to live in the shelter with your, whatever you had, your, just your family? What, what was it like going there? They say you sleep rich and you wake up poor, <laughs> material-wise, you know. They moved us three times, me and my family. The first time they put us in a hotel and um, there was no disabled access for my father-in-law. We we're all in one room. You find the workers telling you the way they're doing us favour, us staying there, <laughs> you know. They actually were saying this to you? Yeah, yeah. Um, having to pull suitcase every week, two or three suitcases of laundry because there's no laundry service in the hotel for three months. How was you going to make food for your family? How did that affect you not being able to cook for your family? We had no fridge in the hotel. So the food you have on the day, that's it. It really hit me when my daughter, you know, she has sickle cells, so low immune system. When the weather changes, she get colds and that. So it was hard because I could make soup for her. Mm -hmm. And now, <laughs> if and the only thing I would make was microwave noodles. But even through hardship... Manera was determined to make the best of the situation. Back home, the way we were raised is like, you don't look at the situation. You find a way out of the situation. And um, I didn't turn around to feel sorry for myself mm. because my kids were looking up to me, you know. My father-in-law, my husband, as much as he shows he's strong, you know, he completely broken. He, lo he lost an aunt who raised him literally in the tower. Mm. And... Uh, it's like, yeah, we need to push on, you know. You walk on the street, there are people sleeping on the street. So I have bed, I have heater, I have covers. What's mm. my problem? Then an important date, Manera's wedding anniversary. It was three months on from the fire. Manera wanted to do something special. And of course that involved cooking. But she was still in temporary accommodation. Where would she cook? Then Manera remembered the mosque she visited with Rania days before the fire. So it was a nine-year anniversary, me and my husband. Mm -hmm. I walked into the same mosque. <laughs> I asked the manager. I said, I would like to cook for that day. And he said, yeah, you're more than welcome. I just wanted to show my kids, my husband, that we, you know, things can go back to normal as much as we can make it. Because on the news, the Prime Minister was like, within three weeks we'll be rehoused. It's been three months and counting. So I felt like I, I need to make things look normal as much as possible. Manira was going to host a big meal like the old days back in the tower. But to do that, she'd need some help. So she invited some of her old neighbours down to the mosque to lend a hand. I remember making two whole lambs. Mm -hmm. And the moment I got that big spoon <laughs> to mix it, mm. I was in tears. Why? I, could, I could not believe it. I was, I was, I didn't know why I was crying. You know, I was like, "Am I okay? Am I going mental? Is there something wrong happening here?" And I could not stop. I could not stop. And then later, I was thinking, "Oh my God, this, 
cooking, you know, food. It's what was missing in my, in my life all this time. Memories came flooding back of who she was before the fire. And now right there in the mosque kitchen, Manira was remembering the parts of herself she'd buried to survive. That night, she hired a hall and brought family and friends together to enjoy the feast she'd prepared. Months after the tragedy, there was finally something to celebrate. Seeing people all together eating yeah. the food I've cooked that is full of tears, I just sat down and I like choking, I was speechless and, you know, try not to show my tears to my kids. Why was it so emotional? It's a blessing. It's a blessing that, you know, once you lose that blessing for some time, yeah. it hits you. It really hits you. But then it's medicine, mm -hmm. you know. Mends you. Totally, completely, you know. The night was a success. Something had clicked that day in the kitchen and she wanted to experience it all over again. There's a night I prayed to God. I said, please, God, show me the sign. Because I, I want people to be happy. Mm. I want to get people together. Because it's the only way you understand each other. You help each other. You support each other. So I prayed before going to bed. I said, please, God, show me the sign. Then good news. So the manager told me, you know what? You can come back every Monday and Thursday and do your cooking here. And I looked at him, I was thinking, is he serious? After months of takeaways and nowhere to cook a basic meal for her family, Manira was being offered a place of her own and the complete freedom to start cooking again. When I started, I was just cooking for me and my family. And then, you know, other survivors, why don't you join me? Other survivors who were living in temporary accommodation nearby started to drop in for a cup of tea and a chat. Before long, they were rolling up their sleeves and getting involved. You start cooking two glasses of mm -hmm. rice and then you end up cooking five kilos and you end up cooking ten kilos. Then you think, OK. And then before I knew it, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the same community I had back in the flood in the tower is joining me here. Women like Layla. At that time, I was going through quite a hard time. I was unemployed, which um, I find very hard to deal with. I've always worked, so I felt quite useless. The turning point for me was when Winira actually invited me to come to the kitchen. I'd never been there before. And so I, I just find the place and walked in and, and straight away you could feel you know, you hear people laughing and swimming, talking, cooking, the smells in the kitchen. And I just felt really welcome and comfortable. Oh. <laughs> Bless her. <laughs> <laughs> when, did, when did you know that what you were doing for yourselves then turned into something for others, other people like Layla and how it, how it helped people so much. And when she explained what it was like there, it sounded like a really good place, a nice place to be. That place is a beautiful place because people come in smiling and then somehow in between is tears, it's full oh, of tears. Yeah. Sometimes you have a hundred million people around you and you still feel lonely, you know, and the only thing that understands you is that food there mm. that you're talking to and it's not answering back. You use the food as like a counsellor for you. Yeah, it was a therapy. It became a space whereby people just come in to share, not because of food. Okay, food is the main component of it, mm -hmm. 
But then just being together, yeah. just telling each other, we're here for each other, you know, don't worry. And once they come, you cry, then you eat, you mm. feel better. You go home and you're looking forward to come again. The women had grown up all over the world, the Middle East, South Asia and Africa. They swapped recipes, shared stories and brought their talents together to whip up some seriously good food. Word had started to get out about their skills. And just like that, the Hub Community Kitchen was born. Within two months, you know, the, the worshippers, after they prayed, like, we can smell food, can we buy? Oh. Like, no, no, it's for free, take it. And then for me, it clicked, the memory, yes. Yes. running the restaurant. I was like, oh, Rania, I wish you're here. Then one day, the mosque's imam came to Manira with an unusual request. He wanted her to prepare a meal for an important visitor. I was approached by the mosque saying to cook for VIP, to cook for 15 people. Mm -hmm. And I cooked for 50 because just to be safe. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I asked if this VIP can cook. And they said, no, you ask her yourself. And I was thinking, okay. She had no idea who this person was. So she elbowed her friend in the ribs and whispered, who's that? It was Meghan Markle, the soon-to-be Duchess of Sussex. She came to the kitchen and asked, what can I do? And I was like, you don't know who you're asking. Because my grandma says no no woman is a guest or a stranger. So once you're in the kitchen, you're a woman, you have to get busy. Okay. (laughs) So I gave her apron, gave her five kilo of basmati rice, and she was washing it, and I was looking, I was thinking. Was she doing it good? Yay! He was like, wow. Hmm, okay. <laughs> she knows her stuff. She, she does know her stuff. She, she's, she's really good. I was like, okay. That's not what I was thinking. And as the Duchess stood there mixing the rice, suddenly she turned to the women and said, Have you guys thought about a cookbook? Like, (laughs) 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 not now. I didn't take it serious. I didn't take it serious. And then the next morning we received email that, uh, you know, you need to arrange meeting. And um, she wanted recipes. For a cookbook. Eight months after meeting the Duchess of Sussex, Manera and the women of the Hub Kitchen released Together, a cookbook showcasing their best recipes. So you just done the recipes, what you were doing in your kitchen? That's it. Every recipe has a story behind it. And, um, you know, there's a purpose of that recipe in there. So so, so every, every single recipe, how many recipes, how many recipes in there? Oh God, and they've all got a story. Every single recipe's got a story. The aubergine masala is my grandma's and she passed it down to my mom and my mom passed it down to me. Mm-hmm. But obviously sometime when I'm not here, I add my own stuff. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it has... Every recipe has a story behind it. And I think that's what made it even more beautiful. It was a hit. A New York Times bestseller. They used the money they made from sales to renovate the kitchen and invest in community projects. She gave us a big platform that has changed our lives forever. You know, not only me, but other 18 women that took part in the book. So three years on from the fire, you're, you're starting to rebuild and then the pandemic hit. How does that affect you guys? 
Uh, I mean, the first thing I said, thank God we're not in the hotel. Can Honestly, if this pandemic happened three years ago in the hotel, it would have been doomed completely. And with the pandemic, did it kind of have any parallels to, to Grenfell? When, when the fire happened, we had people around us. Mm. And this pandemic, the best you can do is Zoom. You know, Grenfell, when it happened, the community, people were there for us. Yeah. And now, you know, the only thing I can do is food. Literally pack some food and send it with Uber or deliver it two meter distance. So the women at the hub have been cooking meals and you've been cooking meals yeah. at home? At home, yeah. How many? Yeah, <laughs> 200 or so. Wow. Just over 100 goes to NHS, mm-hmm. uh, St. Mary Hospital. And then, uh, you know, we have the volunteers. So every day, about 20 meals, 15 meals, 30 meals, they go out to the, the elderly people or these families that need it. If you don't do that, will, will they not eat? I don't think so. When they come to us, we don't ask proof of that you're on benefit. You're a single mom, you've been abused or you don't have money, mm, you know. Yeah, you just give it. Yeah, you know. You I, can I, feel it, you can see in their eyes. I remember one time when I came to this country, I lost my bus pass and I didn't have money. ATP for the bus fare to, to take me back home. And I had to beg on the street for the first time in my life. And I was genuine, <laughs> you know, asking for a pound on the street, ATP. And... Um, So if you come and tell me you're hungry, I'm not going to ask you how hungry are you. And they partnered with local organisations to keep the community fed during lockdown. My name's Ronnie. I'm the club manager at North Paddington Youth Club. Um, We work with young people aged 14 to 21 in the Maida Vale area of Westminster. We um, contacted the Hub Community Kitchen. They said they would support us. And um, it just snowballed from there. It went from three to four to five days a week. They were doing things like honey chicken and rice to chili con carne, spaghetti bolognese, quiche and salad. And they were just churning them out like left, right and centre every day for us. Um, They were all hot, nutritious meals, home cooked. The women in the hub kitchen are amazing human beings, let alone great cooks. And I think that all starts with how, how pure their hearts are. Before lockdown, I was working four jobs. And when lockdown came about, um, I lost three of them. So the income I was making dropped massively. So I couldn't help my family out as much. And it got to a point where sometimes I couldn't help myself out. So having that extra boost, not only that the food is free, but that the food is also healthy. It kept me going throughout the week. You're, you're amazing. That's what he's that's what he's really saying. What you've done. Bless him. No, bless you. How does that make you feel when you hear people talk about that? Because for me, you're a very humble woman. Oh, you, you, you're kind. No, no, no. You're Honestly. very humble. I can see I can see that, and you believe that it's your duty to do that. So now, when when you hear people speak like that and how much it's needed, how does that make you feel? I want to do more. <laughs> yes. I think it's amazing. Um, I mean, those ladies in the kitchen, I just want to say thank you. I'm so proud of them. How does it feel to be in a position to help others after what you've been through? Um, it's, it's amazing. Mm. It's that kind kind of thing you go to bed and you think, wow. You know, they say you pray and God answers your prayer through someone else. 
lots of people will be listening to this, maybe going through challenges in their lives as we speak, Manira. Do, do you have any words for them about overcoming challenges? Yeah, it's, it's just um, don't feel sorry for yourself. That those who are going through worse or the worst and most in, in life, you know. So it's just to wake up and be positive, mm-hmm. put a smile on your face and know, you know, nothing is permanent. Mm-hmm. You know, fight it with love and you'll conquer the world. Unbelievable. What do you think Rania would think about what you've done up to this point? Oh, um, I don't know how much people believe in dreams, but I always see her and... Um, Sometimes she's just hiding behind the door. She's telling me, I haven't gone anywhere. <laughs> I'm here. Mm-hmm. And um, she's just, she's happy. She's proud. That's nice. She's proud. Can I say, I'm, 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 I'm very, I'm very honoured and humbled to be in your presence for what you've done. You survived the unthinkable and you thrived. And people are thriving around you. Munir, thank you very much for no, your story. You. It's amazing. Thank you. God bless you. You too. Thank you very much. Eat more chili. <laughs> <laughs> no way. No, no more. Next time on Everyday People, the poet spreading a message of kindness one letter at a time. I don't know why in this moment I thought it. I was like, I wonder if there's anybody else out there that's like bought me now. What could I do? So I wrote, I started writing a website. The sentence was, if you're having a bad um, minute or moment or month or life, (laughs) message me and I'll send you a a lovely letter. Email me. If you like what you've heard so far and think you've got an amazing story to tell, I'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at everydaypeople at somethingelse.com. That's everydaypeople at somethingelse.com without the G. Everyday People is a Something Else production hosted by me, Ian Wright. Produced by Jade Scott. Our assistant producer is Grace Laker. Our executive producers are Ollie Wilson and Chris Skinner. The sound and mix engineer is Josh Gibbs. With thanks to Peggy Sutton, Paul Smith, Joe Sykes, Dasha Lixitsina, Arlie Adlington, and Steve Ackerman. <laughs>